senior pastor, Jim Baker. All right, all right. All right, so good to be with you guys. And so my wife is actually flying home from Texas. She spoke at a women's conference. I think there was 800 women there. And she did a mass deliverance service, if you can imagine that. And so uh, she went for it. It sounded like it was amazing. I think uh, on one of the services, she said it was... Uh, Lined up all the way out the hallway. It was, uh, they, I think they prayed for women for like an hour and a half. She had a Cheryl with her, so super fun, super fun. So I was talking to a friend of mine named Kevin. He lives out of state. I was talking to him this week, and he has a friend who had stage four cancer. And so Kevin said, listen, you need to start listening to some healing series. And so he listened to the series from here, uh, Heal Like Jesus, which is the 26 Miracles of Jesus. With 20, I think we did 27-part series. And then the um, Healing is God's Idea. So he listened to him once. And it didn't really get on the inside of them. Listened to it again. Got on the inside of it. They started meeting, started talking about it. And uh, he just went back to the doctor. Not one trace of cancer. So, that, so uh, yay God. Good things happen when you get your eyes on Jesus. So, all right. So we are in a series called Healthy Kingdom Families. Today we're going to talk about if Jesus ran divorce courts. How are we doing? How many think it might look a little differently than if humans, just normal humans ran it? All right. And so I want to just say a few words at the outset because it's kind of a tender subject. Some of you, you're here today and you're concerned about the state of marriage and you're really hoping that, man, I hope this message really hits the value of commitments and the value of promises. Uh, some of you are struggling in a marriage and you're not sure what you want to hear right now, right? Some of you grew up in a family, you went through a divorce when you were a little child and you're still feeling that pain. Uh, some of you have been through the pain of a divorce as, as a husband or as a wife. Maybe you've gone to a church where they gave the message that you, uh, you know, sin is the, the, divorce is the unforgivable sin. You're now a second-class citizen in the kingdom. You know, the church can shoot its wounded sometimes. Okay? And so let me just tip my hat. You're not a second-class citizen. Divorce is forgivable. All right, we're going to get there. And some divorce is actually a kingdom idea. We're going to get there. I'm going to offend everybody on every side of the issue here, but we're, uh, we're, we're going to take it from the Bible. I've really been praying this week, Lord, I want to reveal your heart in this message. I don't want to just have some human, human ideas. We really need to look at the words of Jesus here. And so my hope is that everyone who listens to this message, because everyone's been affected by divorce in some way in their life, you know somebody, been a part of it, is it's, I think it's going to offer a lot of hope and healing. How would you like to hear hope and healing on a divorce message, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. So I, I just, yeah, it's never a good time to speak about it. And so it's like, I think this is the time to do it. So let's just go for it. I've never known anyone who uh, walks down the aisle in marriage planning on getting a divorce. It's always something that is like worst case scenario. And so let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter 5. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's what's come to know as Sermon on the Mount because Jesus did it at the base of a mountain, right? And so uh, he's going to address divorce in this passage. But let's put it in context. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus begins saying, he's talking about life in the kingdom. He's saying that this kingdom that he's bringing, there's a different kind of righteousness. He said there's this old way of doing it that the Pharisees are trying to do it, where it's just external behavior. He's like, listen, we're going after the heart. We're going after a whole different kind of thing. You can have right actions and have the wrong heart. Right? Like you can be obeying on the, you know, that old story of the kid, you know, who's standing on back, in the back seat and the mom keeps saying, sit down, you know, sit down. And he's like, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Like, right, there's like a lot of people, they're obeying on the outside, but on the inside, they want to sin. They, they want to do these things. Jesus is like, listen, when it comes to the kingdom, we're actually going to be able to change the heart, right? And so in the middle of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus develops these six contrasts. You have heard it said, 
So he's showing you kind of the old covenant or maybe an old traditional way of teaching it. And then uh, he's saying, but here's what I say to you. So he's going to give this new covenant way. So he's going to contrast the old way with this new way that Jesus is bringing. So in the first contrast, Jesus says, you may have obeyed the command, do not murder, um, but you still have a heart full of anger, contempt, and malice. And so Jesus is saying, in the kingdom, we can be free from anger. Does that sound like a good idea? Okay. Then he gives another scenario, the second contrast. You may have obeyed, do not commit adultery, but he says if you're looking at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So now Jesus is saying not only can you be free from anger, you can be free from lust. Now he begins to address divorce. And so I want you to see the brilliance of this. How many of you realize if you were free from anger and free from lust, it would decrease the number of divorces greatly? <laughs> okay, like significantly. All right, and so, uh, so the third contrast here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Again, he's looking at the heart behind what happens in a divorce here. He's contrasting an old righteousness with a new righteousness. Um, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. We got someone? Oh, yeah, awesome. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. He's quoting Deuteronomy 24.1. You've heard it said, that was in the law. This was, this was the Bible, all right? But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. How do you make someone commit adultery? We're going to get into that. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so once again, you have to see the order that he's doing. It's free from anger, free from lust. And I want you to get free from the kind of heart who would, uh, who would have this kind of divorce. Okay. So before we unpack this verse, we're going to go back 1,700 years to the Hammurabi Code. Are you guys ready for this? Okay, so we really are. We really are. And so we got to give some history. And I want you to see in the ancient world what divorce was like, how Israel did something to protect women. There was a little bit of a debate right before Jesus, and then we come to Jesus. Okay, it's going to help us see this thing more clearly. You guys all right? Yeah. So we're going to a little bit of history. So put your history shoes. I don't know if there are there such things as history shoes, Chris? I'm not sure. There are history shoes. Put your history shoes on. We're going to be walking through a couple centuries here. And I'm indebted to um, a, a man named uh, David Instone Brewer. He uh, did some really good research in the background of this, and so I just want to give him credit. So 1700 B.C., back when things were good. No, things were not good back in 1700 B.C. In the ancient world, this is before Jesus. This is before Moses wrote the Old Testament. The, uh, the ancient Near East was pretty much governed by the Hammurabi Code. You guys remember this from high school, reading about the Hammurabi Code? And um, am I even saying it right? Hammurabi? Yeah. All right, so uh, no one names their kids that, do they? And so, um, so uh, if you were a wife under that code, your husband could divorce you for at any time, for any reason, just by walking out of the house. Women couldn't do this. Only men could do this, all right? You'd be stuck with the kids, and there'd be no money. And let's say you had sons, and you found some way to raise them, and maybe they found a way to turn a profit in the business. Um, the husband, the ex-husband could return at any time, reclaim his wife, reclaim the kids, and any property that they have built up. How many of you want to just say, boo, boo to that, right? <laughs> So what this meant is if you were a wife and your husband left, even though technically you could remarry, no man in his right mind is going to remarry a woman who has this ex-husband who could be lurking around who could come and just take away everything. So it was absolutely brutal on a woman to get a divorce in the ancient Near East. Did we see that? So in that day, divorce involved a lot of contention around money and finances. Fortunately, in our day, people have matured beyond this uh, divorce. They hardly ever fight about money. But they did back then. That, by the way, is the only humor you're getting in this message. I hope you really enjoyed it. That was it. <laughs> so just revel in that little piece right there. That's all you get, all right? So women, they were very vulnerable in the ancient world. Divorce was brutal for a woman, okay? So now comes the Law of Moses. Let's go forward about 300 years, right around 1400 B.C., and the Law of Moses is going to look to protect women. 
And so uh, one of the striking aspects was uh, the, the concern for women. So it's clear from Genesis that God's intent was a permanent marriage between one man and one woman. That was, that was the intent, husband and wife. But if it did break up, Moses says this in Deuteronomy 24.1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, we're going to see that the, um, this gets interpreted as sexual morality. He writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of, her, of his house. Now, here you have to understand the certificate was a way of protecting the woman, okay, because it meant that the first husband could never come back and reclaim her. Okay, so now she's not destitute on her own. Uh, there, there's a, and it also meant that she, if she did get remarried, she wouldn't be accused of being uh, an adulteress because she could get stoned to death. I mean, you guys realize in the, in the Old Testament, adultery, remember, uh, remember the woman caught in adultery, they got the stones, where they get that from? They got it from the Old Testament. And so this was something to protect the woman so she could get remarried. She wasn't destitute. And if she got remarried, she would not be seen as an adulteress. The certificate always had this phrase on it. If it was given to a man, if the man had the certificate, it said, you are free to remarry any Jewish woman that you wish. If it was the woman, the certificate said, you are free to remarry any Jewish man that you wish. Okay? So Deuteronomy here, it, uh, are, we, are we tracking so far? Yeah. You got your shoes laced up, right? All right. Deuteronomy mentions divorce on the grounds of indecency. And so this was interpreted by um, all the rabbis of the day to uh, mean for the cause of sexual immorality. And so this raises the question, a lot of people say, well, what about other cases? Okay, you know, was there provision because of, uh, for divorce because of abuse or abandonment? And so those cases were handled in the Old Covenant in kind of a roundabout way. Okay, so in Exodus 21, there's another uh, classic case in divorce. And it covers the question, what, what happens if a man takes a second wife? And it's designed to protect the interests of the first wife. So let's read Exodus 21, 9 through 11. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her, the, the, her, the first wife. He shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her conjugal love. If he does not provide her with those things, she is free to go without payments of money. So once again, the law is seeking to protect the woman. Okay? So in this case, the husband takes a new wife, and human nature being what it is, the uh, new wife typically gets the better stuff. The, uh, the, uh, the second wife, the, you know, the first wife who's a little bit older, you know, the marriage is a little bit older, tends to not get the, uh, get the good stuff. So the law says this. When the husband married his first wife, he made a vow to provide support, uh, food and clothing, and love. So if, uh, so if he breaks that vow, then the wife is free to, uh, free to leave, free to get a divorce, free to get a certificate, free to remarry. Okay? So this, it's kind of a roundabout way. Again, every other culture is absolutely brutal to women. The law of Moses is trying to protect women. Okay? And so over time, the rabbis said that um, based on just Deuteronomy 24 verses and Exodus 21, that a marriage involves a vow that has three promises. This is going to be big. This is the three promises uh, uh, for marriage in the Old Testament that, uh, that Jesus in, uh, that had the framework for. Okay, the first was the promise to be faithful. In other words, no sexual unfaithfulness, no adultery. That's Deuteronomy 24. The promise to provide, that's food, clothing, and so on. That's Exodus 21. And the promise to love, that's sexual intimacy and affection, Exodus 21. Okay? So if these vows are broken, the victim of the uh, broken vows has the right to get a divorce, according to the Old Testament. Uh, male or female, this would include the right to get remarried. There was no such thing as a divorce in ancient Israel that did not include the right to remarry. That's what the whole idea of a certificate was. Your certificate gave you the right to get remarried. Okay, so there was no divorce, and you have to stay single the rest of your life according to the Old Covenant. Are we okay so far? This is a lot. 
So rabbis, you know, you gotta love the rabbis. I mean, they they wanted to, you know, so they had the, the they had the clear teaching of the Old Testament, and they wanted to kind of like put every single kind of rule and condition on it. So they they took the law very seriously. So they would say, you know, they argue over, well, how much food is included with that promise? What about clothing? What about physical intimacy? How often the physical intimacy? Okay. And so the rabbis they love to kind of uh, debate about these rules. So can we just talk about some of the rules around physical intimacy? I think they're hilarious. Are you guys ready? The husband had to offer to be physically intimate with his wife at least twice a week. This is not the Bible. These are the rabbis interpreting this, okay? The husband had to offer to be physically intimate with his wife at least twice a week, or she had the right to divorce him if he didn't do it. There was some exceptions. If he was a donkey driver, not kidding, this is true. If he was a donkey driver, he only had to offer one time a week. I don't know if it's because it was like a truck driver and he's gone, or because he's sore riding the donkey. I don't know what's happening here. If he was unemployed, a husband had to uh, at least make the offer of physical intimacy every night, seven nights a week, or his wife could divorce him. I'm not making this up. I'm picturing the rabbis as unemployed, picturing that they have, you know, <laughs> making these rules, right? You're like, yeah, this applies to us, right? So that's what I'm picturing. Um, so did the, ba- did the rabbis uh, believe, remember, we're getting to Jesus here in a second. We're just, we're just setting the framework here of what... Uh, of what kind of was the environment that they would have gone off of. So did the rabbis believe there's biblical grounds for divorce uh, that included things like abandonment and abuse? Of course they did, okay? Abandonment would simply uh, be an extreme version of breaking the vow to provide. Abuse would be the extreme form of breaking the vow to love. And in Israel, those would be grounds for divorce. You guys think you know where I'm going with this. You don't even know where I'm going. Just, just, just follow along, okay? Because some of you are like, hold on, is he saying this? I don't agree with this. Let's just keep going through the scriptures, Okay. Um, that did not mean anybody thought God believed divorce was a good idea, okay? But this is a way of, present, of preventing a worse injustice for a woman who, uh, you know, had been left by her husband, had been abused by her husband, where there was sexual morality and there was unrepentance, all that type of stuff. It's, it's a way of preventing a worse uh, scenario, okay? So now let's move forward from 1400 B.C. to 5 B.C., okay, five years before Jesus was born. Just around the time of uh, the birth of Jesus, there's a new development going on. So there was two famous rabbis, Hillel and Shammai. Can we just say that? Hillel and Shammai. It just feels good to say those names. They were the big dogs in the theological world, and uh, schools were founded around them, and so people were either followers of Hillel or Shammai. And so Hillel, he looked at the law in Deuteronomy 24.1, where Moses says a man can divorce his wife for a cause of sexual immorality, and he began to reflect on this. Well, he could have just said sexual immorality. Why did he say a cause of sexual immorality? And he just said the word cause, and so I think he meant any cause, okay? And so, uh, so Hillel reasoned that this word must refer to, uh, to uh, any cause. And so uh, he believed Deuteronomy 24 meant, 24 meant that a man could divorce his wife for two reasons, sexual immorality or any cause. What could possibly go wrong with this interpretation, right? So um, uh, Hillel was a man. Uh, the rabbis in his school were men. And they decided that this any-cause divorce would be available to only one gender. Anyone want to guess what gender it was? Men and husbands. They were the only ones who could get this any-cause divorce, okay? And they listed things like this. Uh, they, uh, you know, the rabbis, they wanted to be detailed on this. They listed things like this. Is, I'm not making this up, all right? Uh, I'm not making any of this up, by the way. Uh, so here's some of the causes that you could divorce your wife, uh, according to Hillel. Uh, if a wife burnt his food... He could divorce her. 
Some people should be nervous on that one. <laughs> if, she walked around her, uh, if she walked around the house with her hair unbound, her husband could divorce her because that was considered improper. If she argued in a voice loud enough to be heard in the next house, he could divorce her. If she insisted on watching two Hallmark movies in a row, that's more of a modern interpretation, but. So one drawback to the any cause divorce was that it was more expensive. So if the husband could prove uh, that she committed adultery, then he didn't have to give her any money, okay? But in an any cause divorce, he would have to give her the, uh, the marriage inheritance, the ketubah that was promised at the, at the wedding. So he got the any cause divorce, had to pay the inheritance. If there's sexual immorality, um, don't have to pay her anything, okay? Still had to give her their certificate so there wouldn't be the brutality of like the, you know, the other nations, okay? So Hillel's saying, hey, listen, there's this new divorce option in town. It's never been available in the history of Israel. There's this any cause divorce available to any husband, all right? So you can imagine that this soon became the most popular form of divorce in Israel, the any cause divorce. And so um, you guys may not have known it, but you, uh, you actually know of a famous case of an any cause divorce in the Bible. Remember the story in the New Testament where Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant? And uh, they've not yet come together as husband and wife, so he knows that it is there, uh, you know, it's not from him. In Matthew, 19, uh, Matthew 1, verse 19, it says, Because Joseph did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. The word quietly is not just a vague adjective. It's actually a technical legal term, okay? So what Joseph decided is he's not going to take Mary and, uh, to court and prove that she committed adultery and embarrass her that way. He was going to go ahead and pay her the inheritance and just be a very good man, and bless her anyway, okay? He decided to not get the any cause divorce. No, no, no proof. Uh, he decided to get an any cause divorce. No proof of adultery, no scandal. And so that was an innovation of Hillel. Are we doing okay so far? Yeah. Now, there was another important rabbi named Shammai. Shammai disagreed with Hillel, okay? So Shammai in uh, Deuteronomy, he said, Deuteronomy 24.1, it only refers to divorce being allowed for sexual immorality. Of course, Shammai would have uh, agreed with um, you know, that Exodus 21, the vow for provision was broken. If the vow for uh, love was broken, that it would have included that. But when it comes to Deuteronomy 24.1, this was the, uh, the, big, uh, the big linchpin one because it included the any cause divorce. And uh, Shammai would say, that's a bad interpretation, um, not correct. Uh, a divorce, you know, and any cause divorce is wrong, all right? So in Jesus' day, uh, there's this big debate. So you can see this. So, um, all right, so this brings us to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 19. So remember... Uh, the, the, so, okay, fifth century, now we're back to Jesus. Matthew 19, some Pharisees come to Jesus to test him or trap him. Okay, so uh, they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Okay, is that making a little bit more sense now? Okay, they're not asking, Rabbi, is divorce always against the law? Okay, that was never debated in the day. There was provisions for divorce in the law. Um, uh, no rabbi would have ever asked, is it lawful for us to follow the law of Moses? Like, the law of Moses already had provisions for divorce. It was in the law. What they're asking Jesus is, how do you interpret Deuteronomy 21? Do you agree with Hillel, or do you agree with Shammai? Okay, and they're not even interested in Jesus' answer. What does it say? It says they came to test him or trap him. Okay, and so uh, a little background might be helpful here. The ruler in Galilee was a man named Herod. Herod was married to his first wife, and he falls in lust with uh, another woman named Herodias. Problem is, Herodias was married to his brother. It's like a Spanish telenovela happening here. And so, um, and so uh, he, he, uh, he divorces his first wife, convinces Herodias to divorce his brother and marry him. 
And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. Remember this? And uh, John confronts Herod about it in Mark 6, 18. He says, it's not lawful for you to have Herodias as your wife. Why? Because you got this any cause divorce. This is not a legitimate divorce just because you're unhappy, just because you want someone else. That's, that's not a legitimate reason. Does anyone remember what happened to John the Baptist? He got beheaded, all right? And so, uh, so the Pharisees are asking Jesus a loaded question, all right? So depending on which way he goes, there, there, there's a trap being set. So Jesus, brilliant as he is, he uh, takes him back to the beginning. He takes him back to Genesis. So let's read Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. He, meaning Jesus, Jesus answered, Have you not read, now he's going to quote Genesis chapter 2, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, he's quoting it now, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, okay, and so Genesis, it says, um, and, uh, in Genesis, it says, they shall become one flesh. Jesus adds two there, okay? He says, the two shall become one flesh. So what's he saying? Polygamy is not really part of God's plan either, okay? Um, uh, when Jesus states that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife, he's stating marriage is to be, be between a man and a woman. There's this big thing out there that Jesus never addressed homosexuality. He did indirectly right here. Marriage is between a man and and a woman. We okay? The two shall become one. God's purpose for marriage is that a husband and wife make a permanent, intimate covenant commitment. He takes them back. This is what God's plan is, okay? So the Pharisees ask, well, then why didn't, why didn't Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Moses never commanded it. He permitted it, Jesus is going to say here. But um, Jesus said to them, because of your um, hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Can you see just the sneakiness? Why did Moses command them to get a divorce? He's like, no, no, he didn't command it. He allowed it. I want you to notice the reason, though. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus is raising the bar pretty higher. I'm not going to go into this, but it's interesting. But his disciples, um, his disciples must have been falling into the any cause divorce thing. Because what's their reaction? Well, man, isn't it better than just to say single? In other words, if you can't just get rid of a woman anytime you want, you have to have this permanent commitment. Maybe we shouldn't get married altogether. Remember that? Was, you ever wonder why that was their reaction? This is why. Because it's like, man, this is a permanent thing. Jesus is like, well, no. There are certain people who are gifted to be single. You want to know how you know if you have the gift of singleness? You don't want to get married. People are like, I'm worried I have the gift of singleness. I'm like, do you want to get married? Yeah. You ain't got the gift. You're looking for your spouse. Be free. All right. Let's read it again. Uh, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That was never God's intent. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for a sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus is saying, if you divorce someone with one of these any-cause divorces and remarry, you're committing adultery. Why? Because it's not a real divorce in God's eyes. It's not a reason to just walk out the door because your wife burnt your food, or because you're not making any happy, you know, she's not making you happy anymore, or... We just fell out of love. We just grew apart. That's an any cause divorce. It's not valid in God's eyes. Let me ask you. So if, if it's not valid in God's eyes and a divorce is a sin, let me ask you. Is sin forgivable? Okay. We're going to get there. I just, just trying to give you some grace along the way here. Are we all right? 
All right, so there is no biblical reason in the Deuteronomy 24-1 passage, with the one that they were debating, other than, uh, other than adultery, because they're just talking about this one passage, for a person to get divorced and remarry. Otherwise, it's not a legitimate divorce, and, 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 uh, according to that passage there. I want you to notice, Jesus was not restricting all grounds for divorce to adultery only. What's he doing? He's correcting the loophole about the passage that they're debating in here in Deuteronomy 24. Okay, the grounds in Exodus, the promise to love, the promise to provide, uh, those were already accepted by all first century Jews. That was not being questioned. What was being questioned was, can we add this any cause thing in here? All right. So let's take a few moments. Let's summarize a couple things here before we keep moving forward. All right. So I'm going to give you four points because I don't want anyone to accuse this sermon of being pointless. You guys ready? Point number one. <laughs> Point number one, divorce was never God's original intention for a man and a woman in a marriage. Okay, the intent of God was that there be a permanent union, a permanent covenant union of God's kind of love between a, a man and a woman, which would show the world what God is like. Okay, he's actually going to show the way that a husband loves a wife and a wife honors her husband. It's going to show the world the way Christ loves the church. Okay, there become one flesh, one natural unit building a life together. And so, uh, point number two, you guys ready? Jesus affirms the exception that Moses gave for divorce for sexual immorality. Okay, he affirmed that divorce. But uh, Jesus gets to the real issue, the hard heart. This is going to be big here. Please hear this. Jesus does not say that adultery is so horrible that a marriage relationship cannot survive an adulterous affair. That is not true. Many marriages survive them. Some people have falsely understood that where there's adultery, divorce is required by biblical teaching. It is not. Okay? I love how Dallas Willard says it like this. It is the hardness of the human heart that Jesus cites as grounds for divorce in the case of adultery. In other words, the ultimate grounds for divorce is human meanness. What was the, what was the reason he said for, that Moses allowed for divorce? Hard hearts. Mean hearts. God allowed divorce because people's hearts can become so hard, so mean, so unrepentant, and stubbornly sinful that a divorce would be a more loving option than to live like that. It was understood that this was for extreme cases only. When we have 50% of divorces in the church, guys, there's not 50% of extreme cases. These would be rare cases where a heart is so hard, so evil, so vindictive, that it'd be more loving to get away from that person. If it wasn't for the hard heart, even adultery would not be a reason for divorce. So Jesus challenges their understanding of any cause. I told you everyone's going to be mad at this message here. So. so Jesus challenges their understanding of the any cause divorce, which was just a selfish weapon, and he turns it into a biblical understanding that it's a tool of defense against a hard, mean heart. Guys, if someone commits an adulterous affair and is repentant, you do not have a biblical reason to divorce them because there is no hardness of heart on their part. We doing Okay. But hard hearts may make divorce necessary to avoid greater harm, and so they're permissible in these rare cases. Here's some good news. Kingdom hearts are not hard. And together, we can find ways to forgive and speak the truth in love and reconcile. So we have tender intimacy and good communication. And, uh, but Moses permitted divorce because the meanness of some people's hearts, and that permission still remains today. Jesus affirmed that. In the Sermon on the, Mark, Je uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a vision of this new heart, this new mindset, this new spirit, this new way of relating, where husband and wife, uh, they can be free from anger, free from lust, and be free from being mean to each other so that uh, they can display a kingdom marriage. Guys, it's so easy for preachers to call out divorce as sin. 
but we should preach against the cause of divorce. That doesn't make, it, uh, that doesn't make us easy on divorce. It simply makes us more effective in preventing it. Prevent the hard heart and you prevent divorce. Husbands and wives, marriage is the very tool God uses to help us become kingdom people. Your greatest chance of, uh, of becoming holy and becoming like Jesus is getting married to another person. They're going, you're going to have to practice the fruit of the Spirit so much. You know when you learn the fruit of the Spirit? When you're put in the exact opposite circumstance of that fruit. You don't learn kindness when they're like, you're so awesome, let me rub your feet. Oh, Lord, the fruit of the Spirit. I, I need the Holy Spirit right now to be kind. No, you don't. Even like Hitler could be kind if someone's rubbing his feet. <laughs> Marriage is the greatest tool to shape you into becoming like Jesus. God is not, oh, this is so good. I'm gonna re- I've already wrote the word repeat on here. It's so good. <laughs> I did. You guys ready for this? God is not just calling for Christians to stay married. He wants them to act married in the fullest sense of the term, surrender to God and dedicated to each other's highest good in the Lord. Oh, you want me to repeat it? All right, just for you, Derek. God's not calling for Christians to just stay married. He wants them to act married in the fullest sense of the term, surrender to God and dedicated to each other's highest good in the Lord. Remember, that's what love is, is to will the highest good for someone else, even if it costs you something. So guys, at this church, it begins by preaching the beauty and promise of a new kind of life found in the gospel, okay? More than we preach the law of what's forbidden, okay? If you want a church full of sin, preach on sin every week. It says sin arouses the desire within you, okay? So if you do so, what you do is you just tell people, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this. That's the law. And it's just going to arouse those things on the inside of you. That's the purpose of it. But if you want to change hearts, you preach the gospel. You make the tree right, the fruit will be right, Jesus said in Matthew 12. Point number three. Just because a man or woman has given their spouse a certificate of divorce and done everything legally right does not mean that he or she has done right or has been a good person with respect to the relationship. Remember, Jesus in Matthew 5, he's going after a new kind of heart. You've heard it said you can get a divorce. I'm saying, listen, you can give them a certificate of divorce, but you can still be mean. You can still do it in a non-kingdom way. That's what Jesus was denying in his teaching in Matthew 5.31. There's an old righteousness where we did everything legally. I gave him a certificate of divorce, we did this and that, and you can still be mean about it. Point number four, a person is forced into adultery when there's an any-cause divorce because it's not valid from God's perspective. It's a groundless divorce, okay? And so um, I want you to get this. Women in the first century, they didn't have a lot of financial options. There wasn't like a lot of female entrepreneurs on Shark Tank in the ancient Near East, Okay? Society back then, they didn't have, like, support for, for, uh, you know, for, you know, divorced women. They didn't have alimony. They didn't have a division of assets, okay? And so her only option was to get married again. And so, and God's saying, listen, in this any-cause divorce, this is ridiculous because if she remarries again, you're causing her to become an adulteress. She has no other options. So he's simply spelling out, here's the horrible consequences of these stupid divorces that you guys are talking about. Are we Okay. Let's move forward to 55 AD. Can you believe the progress we're making here? I mean, from 1700 BC to 55 AD, here we go. The Apostle Paul is an early follower of Jesus. He's writing to a church in the city of Corinth. And you need to know, he's writing into the Roman world. Marriages were not in great shape in the ancient Roman world, okay? The emperor, Caesar Augustus, he'd seen that Roman men were avoiding marriage so they can engage in multiple sexual relationships without uh, even affairs. It's hard to believe that non-Christian men would do something like this, but they actually did that back in, that was humor, 55 AD. 
Caesar was so concerned about the lack of legal marriages, a lack of legal sons being born to Romans. In uh, 18 BC, he established a law that made it mandatory for Roman citizens to get married. Okay? If you got divorced within 18 months, you had to be remarried. So that's how bad marriages were. No one's getting married. They're not having legal sons. So he, he makes a law. You have to get married. Part of this is because divorce was so easy in Rome. You thought it was easy in Israel. Uh, it was even easier in, uh, in Rome. Uh, by Roman law, you could get a divorce just by walking out the door. Okay? It's called a divorce by separation is what it was legally called then. So the world that you can imagine. So here's, there's a church in Corinth. And the world around them uh, you know, is faced by wide-scale sexual morality. They're having sex in the temples to different gods and false religions. Mandatory marriage laws. And divorce is as easy as walking out the door. So marriage is a total disaster. So they're writing to Paul saying, hey, how do we handle all this stuff? So Paul's giving them, here's what it looks like in the kingdom in the midst of this hot mess, all right? So Paul writes to this little church and says, don't live like that. Honor your marriage vows. Don't sink down to the Roman bar. Live up to God's standard. Even if you're married to an unbeliever and you become a Christian, seek to honor them. Seek to win them to the Lord, okay? Um, but since the divorce about, this is a message about divorce, let's talk about what he says about here. Uh, 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. But if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever leaves, again, in the, in the Roman world, that's a divorce. That's, you know, they just divorced you when they walked out the door. Let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. <clears throat> in other words, if your spouse abandons you, uh, then the marriage is over. You're free to remarry, Paul says, in the Lord. And later on, he says, in other words, to a believer. Okay? Listen, when Paul wrote this, he did not think, I'm changing what Jesus is saying. I'm not adding on something else. He's simply affirming what the Old Testament had already said. Okay, he would have understood that him and Jesus were in agreement with the Old Testament, with the vow to be faithful, the vow to provide, and the vow to love. Okay? But I want you to see the verses right before this. Okay? First, I, I did not give you guys these. Um, if you're looking for the slides, I just did this this morning. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 14. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother or Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Okay? So, believing husband, unbelieving wife, do not get a divorce, even though a culture says it's okay. Verse 13, he reverses the situation. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Boy, there's something so supernatural when just one, because the two become one, when the one is sanctified, the whole house is sanctified. Somehow there's some supernatural covering that comes over the whole house when you just got one believer in the equation, even the kids. If you're married to a non-Christian and they want to stay in the marriage, stay in the marriage and shine Jesus to them. I know a beautiful testimonies of people in our church where the husband was running around and the wife or she was, she was cheating, different scenarios, and uh, they decided, you know what, I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to believe for my marriage. I'm going to shine Jesus to them. I may have a cause for divorce and all this, but you know what? I'm going to go for it anyway. And we've seen those. Uh, they submitted to God, and they just believe their spouse back to truth. They just love them back into the kingdom. If you're listening to this and you are one step away from leaving your spouse, let me say this. Listen, I know you're hurting, and you probably in the natural you have a right to hurt, but what's God telling you to do? Not what your emotions are telling you to do. Not legally what can you get away with. Not even biblically, what can I get away with? Listen, before you make a decision that is equivalent to chopping off your arm, when two become one flesh, guys, you're, you're one. 
And so when you break that, it is like amputating a limb. Sometimes, I want you to see how, how rare amputating a limb is. Sometimes it's the very thing that you need to do. That's a divorce. Sometimes it's, it's, it's so toxic to the body, it's going to kill it, that you want to sever it. But listen, don't do anything because I'm saying it. Seek God's will for you and your family. God may have a miracle in mind. He has more hope for your marriage than you do. Jesus is still turning gathering demoniacs into missionaries. I guarantee you, none of you are married to anyone as bad as the guy running around naked with a legion of demons in chains, cutting himself. And uh, he went back and he actually won 10 cities to the Lord. We looked at that in the Healing Jesus series. He's still turning murderers named Saul into apostles named Paul. Okay, we believe in marriage miracles. Okay, so to kind of summarize, is then divorce ever justifiable biblically? I think it clearly is, but only in the most extreme circumstances. Some people think the only uh, grounds for divorce and remarriage is adultery. I believe it's a misunderstanding, okay? And here's why. I've heard this kind of thing. You mean that if my husband beats me, beats our children, is addicted to drugs and alcohol, steals money, tries to kill me, I have to stay married to him. But if he strays one time sexually, then I can get a divorce. Guys, that's stupidity. The Bible does not teach that uh, adultery is the only cause for divorce, okay? People have thought that's what it means uh, to be biblical on this issue, I read a heart-wrenching story this week about a guy who kidnapped his nine-year-old daughter, made a horrible phone call to his wife, took his daughter up on a plane, deliberately crashed it, killed them both, crashed it into his in-law's house, okay? And so there's women saying, you mean he can threaten me, threaten to kill me and kill my child and I can't divorce him? That's not what, this, that's not what these verses are saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not talking about the whole Jewish framework here. He's talking about the debate over Exodus 21. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 21. Uh, Army 24. He's, he's specifically talking about this debate between Hillel and Shammai. And Jesus is saying, I'm a Shammai guy. There is none of these any cause divorces. That's foolishness. All right? I want to be very, very direct here for a moment, in case I haven't been already. <laughs> if you are in an abusive situation, if you or your children are in danger, get out now, get safe, and get a paper trail with the police. Too often, the church has not spoke clearly on this. Wise Christian counseling can help. Being in Christian community is important. But not, do not think that being obedient to God means remaining in a situation where you or your children's lives are in danger. You are not pleasing God by taking a punch that is not biblical, it's not loving, it's not wise, it's not Jesus' teachings. Get safe now. Okay? So we see that there's three situations biblically where someone can divorce and remarry. Adultery, as seen in Deuteronomy 24.1 and affirmed by Jesus in Matthew 5 and 19 uh, because it undercuts the one flesh. Uh, abandonment in 1 Corinthians 7, that undercuts the leaving and cleaving of a marriage. And abuse, uh, it undercuts the, uh, the, the promise to provide and to love in, uh, in Exodus 21. Sometimes vows are broken, and that does not mean that divorce is okay even if vows are broken. It's that hard-heartedness. And so if you're here and you're looking for any cause, looking for a reason to get a divorce because you're unhappy in your marriage, you are in sin. You do not have a reason to do that. It's the hard-hearted, unrepentant, dangerous, nastiness, meanness that is grounds for divorce, regardless of how it manifests. I told you everyone was going to like this, but anyway. Hard hearts may make divorce necessary to avoid greater harm and therefore make it permissible. But kingdom hearts are not hard. We've got resources of another kingdom. 
Divorce is never to be entered into lightly. Neither the husband nor the wife will never be the same. Again, it's like severing an arm. and It's like amputating an arm. Divorce, if it were rightly done, would be done as an act of love. Remember, we're called to receive love and become love. It would be, a divorce would be dictated by love and done for the honest good of everybody involved. It would be done without anger and bitterness and resentment and revenge and unforgiveness that usually goes with divorce. This kind of divorce that is, uh, it would be very rare, but it remains possible and may be necessary. If it were truly done on this basis, um, it would be done right. So the important question is not, is divorce okay? The better question is, how can I use the resources of the kingdom of God to resolve difficulties with my spouse and to make our union rich and good before God? If I were to divorce, how could I do it with a kingdom heart, with love, with concern for the honest good of all involved? Okay, those kind of questions point to the goodness that gets beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees who are just trying to keep the law. All right? So that's the teaching of Jesus in the scriptures. Uh, I believe that's his teaching on divorce and remarriage. But I want to say a few pastoral words as we close here. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, great denomination. And uh, one of the things that they had is you could not be ordained as a minister if you had a divorce in your past. Even if your divorce was when you were unsaved. Guys, the world's going to call us on the carpet when we say Jesus forgives every sin except for divorce. When we picture that divorced people or anyone who's gone through divorce, no one ever wants that for themselves. Some people are victims of divorce. And we just treat everyone with this blanket statement. There was a really bad joke uh, in seminary that said, <clears throat> you know, if you're, divo- if, you, uh, if you're having trouble with your spouse, it's better to murder them because the assemblies of God will forgive murder, but they won't forgive divorce. You can still get ordained if you murdered your spouse. You just couldn't get ordained if you divorced your spouse. Guys, the world's going to call us on the carpet for a mixed message, and we say God forgives everything except divorce. You're a second-class citizen. At this church, you are welcome. Regardless if you divorce for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. If you divorce for the wrong reasons, man, I pray that if your spouse is still possible, that you guys get reconciled. If it's not possible, make your next marriage a covenant marriage. I want to tell you about one more divorce in the Bible and what happened on the other side of it. One of the most striking pictures, this is literally the closing of the closings. All right, so this, this is the real closing. One of the most striking pictures of God's relationship to Israel was that of a marriage. He said he, he was their marriage. He said he was going to provide for their, her, care for her, love her, and she was to love God in return. And if you go through the Old Testament, often uh, Israel's, unfaith, uh, Israel's unfaithfulness, their, their rebellion against God was pictured as adultery. Okay? It leads to one of the most amazing and heart-wrenching statements in all of Scripture. In Jeremiah 3.8, this is God speaking. He says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. You guys understand what this is saying? God went through a divorce. Boy, most people in the Scripture can quote uh, Malachi 3, uh, 2.16, God hates divorce. Boy, they, they can quote that one. And you, know why, you want to know why God hates divorce? Because he went through one. He knows how horrible it is. He knows the pain and the anguish of going through one. God says, I've been through the humiliation of being rejected. I know all about the pain of betrayal. I know all about the anguish of broken vows from hard-hearted people. And the prophets of Israel say that God is a divorcee. So God invented the first divorce recovery program the world had ever seen, and it's called Calvary. It's called the cross. And you have to understand, each one of us 
We committed adultery against God. We were hard-hearted at one time. We were rebellious. Every single one of us. Uh, Hosea 2.19, in that day declares the Lord, I will betroth you to me forever. He's saying there's this new program that's coming. And I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. There is a love and compassion at the cross for all hard-hearted vow breakers like me. When it comes to this divorce, we're all on the wrong side of it. We've all been unfaithful to God. We're all divorcees. We all need the cross. And that's what we want to be at this church. Marriages need Jesus, by the way. And so if you're here today and you're married and you don't know Jesus, every marriage needs a third party. It was never meant to work just in your own strength. And so if you do not know Jesus today, boy, you can, you can come into this divorce recovery program, get on the right side of the cross, and be betrothed to Jesus and live out his purpose for your marriage. I want to say this uh, as strongly as I possibly can. If you're thinking about getting married to someone, and you know Jesus, and you've made a commitment to him, and the other person in your life does not know Jesus, do not get married to someone who does not share that ultimate faith commitment. Just don't do it. I don't care how much they make you feel happy. I don't care if they're showing spiritual interest and maybe they'll get saved. Do not be unequally yoked. Okay? If you're already in a marriage and you're struggling and you can feel your heart getting hard, listen, guys, if there's any way we can help serve you and uh, get a sozo, we can refer you to marriage counselors. Join one of the marriage five key groups. But you, if, are, if you are a believer and your heart is getting hard, you have resources in the kingdom of heaven to overcome that. And you can receive love from God and become that love. That's what you're called to do. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Uh, maybe you desperately fought to avoid it. Uh, maybe you shoulder a fair amount of responsibility and guilt. Listen, you can get healing and forgiveness from God. You can know the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And I think what God is saying to all of us is if you'll let me, I'll heal your heart right now. Let's stand for closing prayer. Are we okay? Yes. Not an easy message. Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we just thank you that you, when we rejected you and had hard hearts, you modeled for us what it looks like to pursue and to believe and to have a solution. And so, Lord, for everyone in here who's been affected by divorce, who, uh, who or maybe just has a hard heart, Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you and we say, Jesus, come heal those spaces. We pray that you would help us to receive that love so we can become love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yep.